Welcome to an episode of Mountain Talk that's quite literally about the oldest language to ever be spoken in these mountains, Cherokee. I'm your host, Rachel Geringer, and for the next hour, we'll learn from Micah and Jakeli Swimmer. Micah and Jakeli are brothers, educators, and enrolled members of the Eastern Band of Cherokee. They grew up hearing their grandmother, Amanda Swimmer, speak the language. And as the last remaining fluent speakers age and pass away, Micah and Jakeli find themselves in an urgent race to learn as much of the language as they can and to help teach it to others in their community. I'm Jakeli Swimmer. Um, I'm currently now a uh, freelance kind of Czech language teacher, kind of uh, bouncing around ever, uh, around some places to, uh, uh, I guess... Um, different areas wherever I'm needed. Um, kind of recently resigned from a job with the uh, Graham County Public Schools and uh, took a more role of, uh, of uh, getting to places where I uh, can be more utilized. So um, that's where I'm at right now. And uh, I'm Micah Swimmer, and uh, I'm the Adult Language and Education Coordinator here at uh, Nougadoo Academy, and I run the adult program teaching adults how to talk Cherokee. Uh, it's my second year in this position, and uh, that's where that's where I'm at. Great. Thank you. I guess before we get into the language, I kind of wanted to ask you all to talk a little bit more about sort of where you grew up and what it was like growing up where you did. Um, I grew up in the Big Cove, Big Cove community up here on the Quad Boundary. Um, it's kind of a very isolated community out in the outskirts closer to the Tennessee border. Um, grew up there. I guess amongst the mountains, oftentimes playing in the mountains and uh, running around, and uh, was a uh, stone throw away from my uh, grandma Amanda Swimmer's house. So oftentimes in there, watching her make pottery or watching my father make pottery. So I was a uh, not entirely immersed in the language, but I was around a lot of cultural parts as well. So um, things you kind of take for granted sometimes. Being a young kid, you see it all the time. It it doesn't seem so. Uh, um, captivating, but uh, it, it was good looking back now and seeing the place I grew up in and uh, being able to uh, be around that place and actually uh, moving back and in, uh, into this area, moving back into uh, Big Cove has, has been has been uh, really good and kind of a rekindling of my childhood. And uh, I grew up in Paint Town uh, with my mom, and uh, me and Jake have the same dad, so we was up. I was up there in Big Cove with them. Um, I grew up with my grandmas, my grandpa, and both our both of my grandmas uh, are potters and everything. So I I got to learn from both of them the different styles they make, how to fire them from my grandpa. Um, so I grew up down in kind of like the town area, but uh, I was also raised up in Big Cove with Jake and our other two brothers and. Uh, it's kind of the same area, but Grandma lived way back in the mountains. <laughs> so at the head of Big Cove is where they where they lived at, and uh, that's where we was at. And I guess I'm kind of curious since since we'll be talking about 
language preservation for a lot of this interview. Um, did you grow up kind of speaking and hearing hearing the Cherokee language? Um, I, I we were both our parents. Neither none of them spoke Cherokee, so we had to learn pretty much from our grandma and uh, my grandpa and his mom. They they could uh, talk, and they would talk to me growing up, but we weren't, like, raised in a home. We're both second language learners, so we've kind of picked it up as we've went along and uh, really started taking – I started taking interest when I was around 11 years old of trying to learn to speak. And, yeah, going off what he said, um, my mother is uh, not enrolled. Um, um, She's from the – or uh western part of the state um but my dad like you said is our dad is uh he's uh grew up in a immersion environment uh, my great grandma molly uh, uh sequoia was a fluent speaker and um um she didn't instruct in anything but cherokee um so my dad can understand it but didn't speak it so like like micah i was around um grandma speaking every night occasionally because um um, she would talk at the hospital or talk at uh, the uh, kind of retirement home around here to some of the speakers. She'd come and visit. Um, but as far as our household, there wasn't many that spoke around there. It was just kind of her. Um, but like Micah, uh, elementary school kind of took a liking to check the language. It was something that um, definitely not easy, but something that was interesting. And so I just every year would uh, would be so intrigued to start over and learn. But I guess around high school, that area, I started wanting to retain more and grow more as far as a speaker. And um, I guess uh, find a find a way of doing that. So um, I really uh, took to it around my around uh, ninth grade or so. I started really focusing on trying to learn more and more about the language. And it's just been like that since. Never stopped learning, still learning, um, really trying to regain a lot of things I've lost over the years working in a public school, but, um, uh, it's been good and, uh, and uh, glad to have, uh, Micah here cause, uh, he's uh, that older brother I could always rely on cause he's learning it and learning these more advanced terms. And so, and he would, he would guide me a lot of times in high school and even in college about words. So he has been a resource and somebody to kind of emulate as I'm learning as, as a teacher and instructor and a, a learner. Hmm. And, and when, so you both said that sort of you wanted to start, you got more interested in kind of learning more around like elementary school age. And I'm wondering like what that looked like. Did you go to schools where there were Cherokee language classes or did you um, try to learn more through kind of talking with your grandmother and talking with other um, kind of native speakers? Our, our school uh, teaches Cherokee language from first grade all the way to 12th grade and uh back then it was just a requirement you knew you had Cherokee language class to go to so our schools on the on the boundary here taught Cherokee language um and it's been like that this whole time but whenever you graduate you know most of the time all people retain is the colors numbers animals your basic greetings and that's pretty much it maybe shapes or something but conversational speakers have not been produced and that's what me and jake realized so we're trying to you know get more 
we're trying to be more fluent by sitting with elders and doing what we can to help. But uh, that's the the race that we're in right now because there's not no program that's producing fluent speakers at the moment. And uh, kind of going off of what he's saying about like um, Cherokee Central Schools was at, was the only school here that offered language at an early age. And I think 95 is when we took over and start running our own schools away from the uh, Bureau of Indian Education, um, BIE. And, and since then, um, the language component has been a vital uh, part of, of curriculum. But in, as Micah said, it's not a, an advancement. It's like, it's, um, it's very basic introductory uh, language. They are, um, and they're kind of handicapped by uh, standardized testing and state standards and things like that. So they, it can't be in fully uh, immersed in um, the the school system um, in both uh, Cherokee Central and and uh, Gadua Immersion Academy. So um, it's it has been a has been a a thing that a lot of tribes, not only us, have have dealt with when dealing with the language. But um, we do want to see kids retaining more and progressing more. And I have seen curriculum kind of developed where kids should be progressing. Um, but at the same time, like Mike's Adult Immersion Programs uh, initiative uh, approach is that getting more adult involvement. And so um, it's just uh, we're going at different different um, avenues. We're going in different ways. And um, it's it's unique. We're around here where we have a lot of opportunities to deal uh, to to get a basic understanding, but we have to eventually bridge out, bridge out, and start getting more advanced because uh, we do we do need to start making that next chapter in language preservation. Hmm. And I read somewhere that you all had, um, Mike, I believe maybe in your office, kind of a list of the remaining Native Cherokee speakers um, on on your wall. Is that true? Yes. And yeah. How, how many are there? Like, does it feel kind of like an urgent, um, like an urgent issue for y'all? Yeah, it's been an urgent issue for me since I even started working here. Um, I started working here in 2013. And when I first got here, that was one of my questions was how many speakers do we have? So different lists were provided to me of people who went and, you know, tried to name speakers here and there, but it wasn't never uh valid you know i couldn't go by that and it be exactly right this is how many we have so i asked the school who teach turkey language as well and they done the same thing they gave me a list of what they're guessing and whatnot but there was no nothing concrete so i uh i enlisted all the speakers that i knew and then i wrote a piece of paper or put a piece of paper beside it on that board so people could fill in names of fluent speakers that they knew and then when we would have speakers gatherings and stuff around Gadua Academy, when them fluent speakers came in, they would look at that list, and I would update it all the time so that it was growing, and uh, they were adding names to the list. And after a while, it got to be 260 names, and that was in March of 2015, I believe it was. I think, yeah, it was March 2015. Um and we had 260 names on that list. So then I started keeping a, a record of them. Every time one would pass, we would mark their name out in a with a red marker and write the date that they passed on there. And we lost seven in six months. And it just grew. 
so then years after that I started you know averaging it out and we lose we're losing 19 fluent speakers a year at least so um I was asked to take the board down because it looked like a hit it started looking like a hit list it was just like all these red lines marking out people's names you know and that's scary especially to the fluent speakers because you know their names are on there and they know their you know their time will come one day so I do keep it in my in my room now but I don't mark out their names with red I'll just take their name off the list and print out a new paper um but it show I've I've also kept a paper up there showing the urgency since 2015 that we've been needing to do something more drastic to save our language while we still can and at one point that whole board was filled up with names and now it's a whole row is gone from it and I'm talking three sheets worth of a roll not just a whole uh column but three three full pages of names are gone now and uh that's the that's the urgency we're we're trying to get um out there to people so that they can understand how important it is that we do something now while we still can otherwise if we have it wrote down and if we have it wrote down on paper or whatever you're going to you're going to mess up the pronunciation because not everybody can say it correctly especially if you haven't heard it before hmm. and uh I just got back from a, a conference in Minneapolis Minnesota uh, the NIA uh, National Indian Education Association holds a language conference uh, on native languages and uh, we got to meet with an emergent school out there in the urban area of, of Minneapolis and uh, we're talking to them about kind of the, the, the differences and similarities that both programs that we have in, in language preservation and in that urban area they had only had two speakers so we have here I mean it, it's urgent but at the same time we need to realize that it's urgent and we need to um, really focus on, on providing services that are starting to um, benefit and these these speakers that we have left and that it's not like a wasted thing I've, I've uh, as I've written before that I feel like we use the speakers arbitrarily for translations and ideas and we don't really use them for for actual preservation um, and so over the over these months and years I, um, there there's been discussion and talk and we, we really need to understand that yeah, 200 small, but we there's still there's still a chance, and we still have opportunity, and we need to use, utilize our resources. And that's something I came to find dealing with these or at that conference, talking to and hearing other programs talk about their their immersion schools, and a lot of them are are kind of grassroots. They're kind of looking for funding, looking for support, and looking for facilities, um, anything they can do to help with with that materials and. I mean, we have we have those, and we can expand. And I think we're at a, a time where we should start looking um, and really looking into utilizing those resources in a more appropriate manner for the language. Um, and I think it's just um, we kind of a lot of times we look into we want to reinvent the wheel when we need to just uh, kind of take and adapt from other programs that might be doing be uh, doing better or or. or, or or having uh, success at something. So um, there are a lot of things in place, a lot of variables, but I think uh, there's been a lot more drive more recently, and I guess with the urgency. But uh, I think uh, it comes down to to listening and um, respecting the wishes of, 
of what we want because uh, anybody can write about things about how the language is, but it's creating those things um, and, and progressing from those ideas. Because now I believe we have a good plan in place. Uh, Mike has worked hard and presented on several occasions um, and has his uh, adult immersion program going and hopefully growing. Um, so that's just one initiative that could come from this. So I think it's it's, it's important for us to understand that. Hmm. Um, I'm going to ask a question that might sound a little bit like a dumb question, but just, I mean, you know, I think for a lot of folks who, who just speak English that it's like, it's such a, it's so far away from what we can imagine for English, right? Um, and so just like a kind of dumb question, but like, why, why is it important to preserve the language? It's important to preserve our language because our language defines who we are as a native people. Each tribe has their own language the Creator gave to them, and it goes back to the time whenever we were given those language languages by the Creator, and that's the gift that He gave to us, and that's why it's so important we preserve it, because it's a gift, and um, our language ties all of our culture and traditions together as well. Everything that you see that Native people have, it involves their language. And their stories, beadwork, I mean, you know, designs, it all has language to do with it. And it all is told in the language. So that's what it means to me. I mean, why it's so important to preserve it. Otherwise, we're just, we'll just be like everybody else, you know. We speak English, but we come from here. And so many people even, you know, well, everybody comes from somewhere. The only people who can actually say they're from this place is native people. Everybody else came from somewhere else, you know, come from across the water somewhere. And uh, they have their own roots and their own languages. They could, they probably speak, but around this area, uh, native languages. And it's very, very, uh, it's very important that we save them. And I've been, I've noticed a big, uh, I guess awakening. I went to a conference for uh, American Council of Teaching Foreign Languages, and this was in America. It was in, I think, Minnesota, maybe. But we went up there, and they had books translated for every language you could think of, but there was nothing for native languages. It was just foreign languages. And you had people living here in America, Turtle Island, talking about all these other languages from across the water, but yet there's nothing out there for native languages like this actful. So that was eye-opening. And hopefully we could get something like that together and start meeting to do something about saving native languages because they're becoming extinct as, you know, every day passes. It gets a little bit closer. And uh, kind of going off what he said, it we're as when you think about America, everybody thinks about English. But before that, like, we don't, you don't call this place America. That's a name given to it. What that didn't even be given. It already had a name. It's already called by many people when first came. But you have a tapestry of languages that were here. I mean, you could go 10 miles and speak a different language. And I'm not talking a similar language like Southern dialect, Northern dialect of English. You're talking about somebody walking in from, from speaking Spanish to go writing into maybe French. 
and having to know all both those languages to com- to traverse a, a very small area. Um, so, but over time, those languages have diminished, and that importance. And kind of like Mike has, has already pointed out, our language is more than just speaking. It connects culture. It connects our traditions. Um, and it's not hard to correlate all these things that have happened um, uh, with language loss, our, our loss of, of, of song and dance, our loss of ceremonies. Because how can you do a ceremony? How can you do a, da- a song and dance if you don't know the words or you can't understand the words? There's importance to it. There's sacredness to it. And the more we lose that language, the more we, we get away from it, the more we're, the lesser we are of who we are as a people. Um, and again, we, we often go into this colonized mindset sometimes about, blood quantum and that's something that was kind of given to us to keep keep a, a kind of a check on us and it's kind of trickled into our kind of lifestyle where like you if you're more uh more cherokee on your blood then you're more cherokee in life but i, I look at that as if you can speak the language i don't care if you're redhead blue eyed that makes you you're pretty you're cherokee i mean if you can't speak a an ounce of it, i don't care if you're a full butt or not it, it, you're taken away from what makes you unique what makes you who you are and how can you how can you be proud of something that's that's not really something we cared about i mean honestly when you were adopting the tribe it didn't matter if you were shawnee or uh or uh, Catawba or anything you you were brought into this tribe you began to learn the language you could tr- convert uh, have conversations and you became part of it i mean it's 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 something that we've lost track of because we've been almost um putting this colonized mindset now where we're more worried about money and revenue than we are about our language. And I'm glad we can, I can still hear it. I'm glad I can still see people do it, but it's not a, a, a forever thing. I mean, there might be a generation that don't have the luxury of waking up and, and or, or going around and hearing a language every now and then. I mean, we don't hear it much, but when I was younger, I mean, I could hear it in the hospitals. I could hear it at the, the uh, Jolly Care Center here, the retirement home. I could hear it in these places, but as I get older, that question of who speaks in your house gets kind of lesser and lesser. Like, well, my great uncle speaks or my great great grandma speaks. It wasn't before, not too long ago. It was mom and dad speaks or grandma speaks. And so we're 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 seeing that kind of get further and further away. And um I I just look at it as as a as a Cherokee, as a member of the Eastern Band, and I, I owe it to my ancestors to to learn this language. And like Mike said, the Creator gave this language, and it's a special language, it's a unique language. And if we lose that, then what, what connection do we have to the past? And uh, at that conference, um, one of the speakers uh, there was talking about uh, how he how he took upon it. He said, "How would your ancestors look at it? If they would they sacrifice what they sacrificed? If they knew in a few generations that we would give up, that we wouldn't care, would they go and and like our ancestors here, would they stay in the?" It, in the freezing cold in the mountains, or would they fight for recognition if they knew we'd just give up? I mean, would would our would our grandma and grandpa would they would would after the uh, um, being being told not to speak their language would they in the boarding schools and day schools would they would they just give up because they said what's the point of talking at home if if I know my grandkids and the generation a generation after me aren't going to be interested in it? And so I think it's vital. It's a vital to to not only our future, but it's, it's vital to, to those of the past, those that have, have passed away within, without any recognition. Um, we need to hold that, that up. We need to hold up our end and make sure we make our ancestors and, uh, proud of us.
Thank you. Um, well, so just to like get a little bit more into some of the history, um, you just sort of mentioned boarding schools and you and you mentioned sort of ancestors and and this like resistance and this fight to preserve the language and, and the culture and identities. Um, and I, I wonder if you all could talk a little bit about some of the some of the histories that have led to to language loss um, for Native people in the in this country, kind of in the in the longer term stories and also up until today. I got a story. I was so anytime I see a fluent speaker, I, I try to talk to them and use language with them. And it's my aunt's mother-in-law, and she's a fluent speaker. She's on the list and everything. But I would I would ask her stuff in Cherokee all the time, and she'd kind of just giggle or maybe look at me some kind of way, like, why are you talking to me like that? And then she would answer me in English. And every time I'd see her, I'd, I'd talk to her again in Cherokee, and she'd look at me all weird, like, like, why are you talking to me like that? And then she'd answer me in English. So it's just been years, you know, and then I finally asked her, I said, how come you won't, how come you won't answer me in Cherokee? And she looked me right in the eye and she said, I will never talk that way again. I'll never talk like that again. She said, when I was in school, they used to beat me. She said, they used to wash my mouth out with that nasty stuff. And she said, I, I didn't know how to talk English. She's like, I didn't know what to say, so I'd just be quiet. But then whenever they would hear me talk or say something, she said they would, it was sheer hell, is what she told me. When she was in school, it was sheer hell. And she, you know, started to tear up. And, you know, some people can talk about boarding schools and whatnot, and it kind of be like the norm. But this woman actually lived through it in a negative way to where, she, there's no turning her mind around. They've done it so bad to her that, you know, she's, there's no way she's talking that la that language again. And that's called historical trauma because after that, now her kids ain't going to talk because she doesn't want her kid to go through that same thing. So her kids aren't fluent and it just kind of died out. So that's some of the things that not just here, but everywhere uh, these fluent speakers have had to face that. And, uh, I mean, like I said, her name's on that list, but she's not, she's not going to talk. And I just, I really hate that that happened to her, to any of the fluent speakers back then. But, um, that's why the ones that we do have that will speak and share what they know, you know, we take it all in with everything we have so that we can remember and learn it and, preserve it but that's that's the story i i wanted to share about the boarding school yeah and um kind of um it's kind of you hear that a lot and i think um i know dad doesn't our dad doesn't speak and our aunts don't speak our uncles um don't speak but they understand it but you look at this world that was growing around them we're in a world where we're trying to preserve. They were in a world that was trying to eradicate us. So it's a different mindset when you're growing up. You had these boarding schools come in, and their whole purpose was to have the Richard Pratt kind of saying, trying to 
trying to get away from that that savagery, that talk that was wasn't 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 to be allowed. And when you got out of there, a lot of these boarding schools were trade schools, so you were learning these trades. Hopefully, become get a job. You, you don't learn. You, you're you're not speaking your language no more. You learned all these skills. You're still not in the same same context as other workers. And so they, I mean, it's almost an advantage not to speak your language and not to teach your kids a language because they, like my kids just told in that story, what's the point? Why should my kids suffer of, to something when, when they could have a, have, a better, have a better chance in the future? And so language is, is still a more recent kind of revitalization to it. And so you had 30-plus years where you were having to just get a job blogging or trying to get a job um, working anywhere and language wasn't vital to that and so you just see these generate this one generation just kind of just say I'm, enough is enough we're going to maybe speak it at home but they're going to learn English and um, and it'll benefit them and it's it's this mindset that kind of stuck and um, there's there's just the vast things that go on it goes back to uh, treaties I mean they were sent. We were sending a lot of tribes were sending people off to get educated, so we would stop getting cheated in these treaties, um, and so they'd know what to, what they were saying and what they were signing for. Um, so this this idea of of knowing English is not new, and and understanding English is not new, but uh, the this idea of keeping that language strong um, hasn't always been there. Um, at times, I believe there was a need. For just solely teaching English, and um, and we're having to work through that, and uh, it, it is just it's just hard to look back and look at how these schools and how these these uh, children were treated, um, and how things uh, kind of unfolded. Um, but yeah, it's it's not anything good, and I think I read somewhere where like Richard Pratt has done just as so much damage to the natives as the U.S. Army has. Um, and you look at it, he didn't he didn't just go and destroy towns and burn villages. He t- took away native tongue. He took away things that connected them to be to be native. And it's something that's just, just, just kind of been cemented in and we're trying to do the opposite. It kinda of, it's kinda of weird looking at um the way we're approaching these things. It's kind of the reverse boarding school kind of approach and um without the the violence. Um, but yeah, it is something that you need to know in your history and you need to look at because it, if you don't know that you're, and they always say, if you don't know your past, you're going to, it's bound to repeat itself. So it's always good to educate the younger ones about what your ancestors and your elders went through. You're listening to Mountain Talk on WMMT. I'm your host, Rachel Geringer, and in this episode, we're learning from Micah and Jake Eli Swimmer, brothers, teachers, and enrolled members of the Eastern Band of Cherokee who spend their days trying to preserve the Cherokee language. In the first half, we heard about Micah and Jake Eli's passion for learning and sharing the language, the loss of fluent speakers, and how boarding schools, colonization, and historical trauma influenced the loss of indigenous languages across this country. In the second half of this interview, we'll hear about the work they're doing to preserve the Cherokee language through teaching both children and adults, through a new app aimed at preserving the language, and we'll hear Micah and Jake Eli speak some of the language. 
well, I guess, you know, I'm curious about some of the some of the things you are doing. Um, you've been talking about sort of ideas and approaches for preservation, and you've talked a little bit about um, where you've both been working. But I wonder if you could talk more about, um, Micah, maybe the school where you work um, with adult language learners and just kind of some of those ideas for how to shift some of the work around preservation. All right. Um, well, what I noticed with the, because uh, I used to be over the early childhood program here at Nougadoo Academy, and uh, what I noticed was our teachers, our second language learner teachers, were not getting the opportunities to learn how to be fluent speakers. Um, and I tried to get a, try to develop a way to get to them so that they can start learning how to, uh, I guess, learn more of the language. Because when they're in the classroom, they, they come in at 7 o'clock, they leave at 3, 8 to 4, 9 to 5, and they're with them kids all day long. So they're using what they know with the kids, but I call it classroom terminology. And that's where... The kids are missing out on the fluent conversations in the language. Um, so I talked to Cherokee Nation about the idea of adult language, and they I've always said they're like two steps ahead of us, and they are. I mean, they uh, when I talked to them out there, they were like, yeah, Micah, we just now finished our first year of adult language. And I said, really? And they're like, yeah. So then they invited me out. So I've been working with them out there and learning from them what they do, what works, what don't work. And that's when I started to try to teach the teachers how to talk Cherokee. And then I started having class down here at the at the school for my teachers. And then it became more of a, well, this needs to be bigger. This needs to be a, a larger scale of teaching language because we need it out in the communities as well. So that's what we did. We started taking applications, and people who wanted to come in and learn language, they would get paid for it. It'd be kind of like a part-time job, but they would be paid to learn the language from 8.30 to 2.30 every day. And it worked really well the first year. Like I said, this is the second year right now that we're in, and uh, that's that's kind of how it's went with my program and where I'm at right now. And we're trying to right now. We're trying to uh, we're trying to really push some new positions to the tribe so that we can get uh, we can preserve our language through audio. Um, because when a language is just on paper, you lose the flow of the language. You lose the the stops and the flow, the you know intonations and everything. You lose all that when you're just reading it. If you've never heard the language, you know, fluently, then you lose those. So what we're trying to do now is push for a couple more positions to help preserve the language so that we can sit and record as much as we can while we still can. Um, I'm sure a bunch of people and a bunch of tribes have language recorded, but is that going to be able to – are they going to be able to – tap into that and understand exactly what they're saying, understand the exact meanings of it. So that's the big push for me right now is trying to get those uh, recorders and media people so that they can be logging all of this language while we still can.
Otherwise, it's just going to be words one day that nobody can tap into because nobody will be fluent speakers if we don't do something now. Thank you. Um, okay. I wonder, would you all be up for like speaking some of the language? Yeah. Okay. I don't really know. Um, maybe you have ideas of kind of like what you want to say or how you want to do that. Um, yeah. If you'd want to sort of like give listeners a kind of demonstration of what it sounds like a little bit. Uh, let me just introduce myself. Degalai Ayuini, Dagwado, Koanai Gei, Dalagi Gwoni Has, Dalagi. Skido Ligi. Hello, Ayuini, Hale, Shuk Ayuini, Dagwado. Could do it Zunde Lokwasti, Dagilan we stani home. Uh Shudali, Shudeti yet, Dagilan we stani home. Uh Digadeo Hunski I no lay uh Kara Ale Nishwa Pomo do donha a guadali Naki ni dinio dagika the daya ogana chula no le yona we luka dundoa digwaids dundo um Ni wodi hi digi lausha no le hani wodi gangi yangwi aya no we just introduced ourselves in the language and told you guys where we work at and I told you guys where I work at how long I've been working here six years and I introduced my family and my wife's name is Nishwapomo and my kids names. Ogana, Dadaya, Chula, and Yon Uweluk. Yeah, mine was very brief. Uh, kind of got lost in my mind, but uh, just a basic introduction where I lived and uh, who I am. Um, just told you, forgive me, and uh, wait, wait a minute as I kind of gather my thoughts. Um, but uh, it, it is, it is something of normalizing the language and creating it uh, or using it in a in a manner. Um, of advancement, and I'm in. Uh, um, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be back around here to uh, again get back uh, immersed in these environments with the not only speakers, fluent speakers, but second language learners because we it, it is great being around them because we can help each other and kind of feed off each other, and uh, it, it's just an opportunity. Thank you. Um, I want to ask a question that I don't. I don't. Um, as someone who basically only speaks English. Um, I don't know a whole lot about it, but I but I feel like I've in trying to study a couple languages, you know, you hear that like different languages have really different vocabularies for certain things, you know? Yeah. And I'm wondering if you if there are like examples of that with the Cherokee language that, that come to mind for you of like like vocabularies within the Cherokee language that that aren't present in English where there's really specific words to talk about something, um or something like that. Yeah, so like the thing comes to mind with me, just based on what you're saying. One, we don't have any B's in our language. We don't have a P. We don't have a R sound. So those are absent in the Cherokee language. And uh, also, whenever we're talking, Cherokee language is very descriptive and straightforward. So whenever we talk about hand me, if you want to hand me something, if I'm telling you hand me that, there's no 
we can't just say hand me that and point at it. You have to describe what it is in the way you say it. Like if I if it's a solid lump or like a like a, t a cell phone or a rock or a basketball something like that, it's uh, a solid mass. So you would say skunchy. And if it was a a pencil or a, a fishing pole or a stick, something like that, you would say skidishi. And if it was a piece of paper or a t-shirt or a towel or something like that with, that's loose and flimsy, you would say skina ushi. Animal, if it's alive, if it's a baby or a young animal or something, you would say skikashi. And if it was a liquid, you would say skinehushi. And that's five different forms. So you have to be specific when you're talking. And that goes into like foods what you're eating it goes into uh gosh i mean there's a lot of description on stuff like that you have to know the language in order to get to that that level i guess you'd say thank you <laughs> um i also ha was reading an article um sort of about native language preservation and it was in the new yorker and from 2015 um and they interviewed someone who's working on preservation of the Mohawk language. His name was Tom Porter. And he they quoted him saying that Mohawk isn't just a form of speech, it's a holistic relationship to the cosmos. And so the article was talking about sort of how um, how language, which you all kind of got into a little bit earlier, but is connected to culture and like identity and 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 also ways of even just like thinking about the world, right? It's not it's not just about speaking with each other. It's connected to all this other stuff um and i wonder if there's anything you all would want to say about that well when we deal with cherokee cosmology or anything we have a uh, we have these three worlds we have the upper world we have the middle world and we have the uh kind of say the underworld but they're not um sometimes people think underworld as a bad place but it's it's just another place um it's almost the it's kind of described as the opposite of here water flows a different way seasons are are, are different than they are in the middle world where we're at and um it's 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 kind of continuation, but uh, of 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 place and water connects us to a lot of those things. The water starts on the top of the mountain, comes down to the lower valleys, and it goes underneath. So that waterway is just a, a, a connection of us all. And um, I mean, a lot of you talking about language being connected to all these um, kind of spiritual places. They are. I mean, even there was an article that was just published by our cousin uh, Bo Carroll. He's a archaeologist up um and he's um works with the tribe and they had found a cave in alabama and in the cave they found syllabary written backwards and come to find out the reason it's written backwards is because um because those that passed on are on the other side so if you write it the way we write it here it'll be backwards to them so they wrote it backwards so they could read the language and possibly help us out so like there's a this connection to language doesn't just stop when you pass away it is something that that carries on with you, and um, uh, you just see it. And the understanding that where they're at in that world, like it's a, it's an opposite kind of a mirror. So you have to be connected under some of those things and be connected to the things around you. And animals, I mean, there's been formulas and and rituals things that have been written about, which probably shouldn't have been, but they talk about. Um, 
hunting a bear or going hunting and these songs will, will help you be successful. I mean, our, um, origin of the bear, um, legend describes that as, um, after they transformed, after the Cherokee, that, that clan that left the, the tribe, uh, transformed into bears, they told them, if you ever need us, uh, say these songs and we'll come and we'll lay our lives down for you. And so you will, you see this connection, um, quite a bit in, in every aspect of our, our, uh, our being. And, um, I, I just think it's important and yeah, it, it is a, it's a very, uh, kind of multiple world kind of thing. Yeah. Thank you. This is a little bit of a shift, but the radio station where I work is WMMT and it's based in an organization called Apple Shop that's been making kind of documentaries and media about the Appalachian region for about 50 years. Um, and so, you know, I think there are a lot of conversations around Appalachian identity that that mostly erase um, generally like people of color completely, but that talk about sort of um, Native people as a thing of the past, right? Um, I don't think that just happens in this region, but I think as the station and as a place that does media about Appalachia, like I think we we don't always do we actually we mostly don't do a great job of talking about like indigenous people in these mountains right and i know that um that's an ongoing pattern in this place and i don't know exactly what my question is for you all except for that yeah is there anything you sort of want to say about that about how people talk about this region that that um that your ancestors have been in for for forever um and how people think about this region and maybe how we should work to shift that um, I mean, first off the bat, when you think about Appalachia, if you, you, you look at anything, you hear about mountaineers, you hear about uh, bluegrass, and and all these things about mountain, but um, even bluegrass has its origin in the African-American community, and that often gets kind of forgotten about. And then you, you think about the, the mountaineers. I mean, honestly, Native Americans, or I like to call them indigenous people, I mean, I don't like being, we can't be native to something we're here before America. We're here before America, but um, um, the natives here, like they made this place. They made it work for them. It was a connection to place. So these mountaineers often are considered the, the pioneers. Pioneers, mountaineers, all these things are considered um, these these uh, brave endeavors into this vast wilderness. But it, it might have been a wilderness to them, but to us, we understood it, and it's something that. Um, is often forgotten in this region and kind of uh, minimized about the impact the Native Americans have had in it. I mean, I, I recently read a book where it was like, if America, if if Europeans had first came over and it was a vast wilderness, they would not have made it. Native Americans have helped sustain this place and helped sustain these, these new arrivals um, when they came in. If it wasn't for us, there wouldn't be anything. I mean, nobody knew how to grow, grow crops effectively. Nobody knew how to how to store things. I mean, a lot of these things I've taken in this region have direct lean, uh, linkage to two native, two natives, two indigenous people. And um, like you said, it's something that's become so prevalent that we're this Western prairie, uh, horse riding, buffalo hunting people. Um, but we're much more than that. We're, we're more, we're, we're uh, not just one image that Hollywood made. We're so different and, and diverse that we're, we're get we kind of get, lampooned into this uh plains indian motif and it's it's not fair to us i mean 
you look at any and read about anything, um, you uh, you'll find that we're very industrial, we're very intelligent. And unfortunately, it goes to education as well. Public education, public school education, or any kind of uh, Americanized education has a very colonized mindset. Uh, the pioneer, the the prairie, the the all these things are just masking genocide and and take and and uh, depredation of of native people. And so, um, we really got to look at uh, other things. We need to stop ignoring the fact that there there were people here before. There was America. There's there going to be. Uh, there was people here before. Um, we're speaking a language that um, was native to this area. Um, so it's it's just it's kind of and we're still here. That's the problem. We're we haven't left. We're just smaller in number. Um, but a lot of things that people talk about or or, or about gathering or, or or farming, it roots itself into the natives around here. Because how would how would anybody from overseas know what plant was edible and what wasn't? What person from overseas would know where what time what what to hunt or how to hunt or how to effectively do things? I mean, they just mirrored the people that were here, and unfortunately, the people that were here before them kind of get left out of the picture because we're seemingly uh, invisible. I guess I wanted to know if there's if there's other things that you think um, listeners should know about any of what we've talked about or kind of other things that you wanted to say or stories that you wanted to tell. Just uh, like Jake said, you know, na- there's Native people out there all over. And uh, it's really cool. Languages are very cool. Um, I love learning different languages, especially from each tribe. And one of the things that a lot of non-enrolled people or non-native people say is how to everything. You know, when they see a native person or they find out that they're native, they'll say how. And that's how the Sioux up in uh, the Dakotas say hello. That's not how we say hello. Each tribal nation has their own way of saying hello. And we're all not the same. We all have our own unique languages that we speak. So... For the people out there, you know, ask a native, ask them how you say hello in their native language. That way, when they start, when they find out somebody's native, they can greet them that way. You know, um, I'm a big advocate for uh, speaking language or talking to people in their own language. It's I, I love languages, so it's really cool to hear people talk our language. Um, but it's also cool to be able to help preserve somebody else's language too by using it. And yeah, I mean, he's, I mean, that's, it's true all the way around that, um, we, we get put in one, that one, uh, one field, one category. Um, but you, you do more damage when you generalize us than you do anything. Um, uh, it's, it's kind of sad that, um, we're constantly being reminded of, our, of, of how little is known about us. Um, but like he said, it don't matter. It's, it's, it's pretty neat hearing from other tribes. In fact, finding uh, common words sometimes in, in other tribes. I mean, the, a lot of times the word for cow in our language is waka, but it's not a, a Cherokee word. It's a borrowing from the Spanish vernacular, vaca. And so uh, a lot of tribes, not just us, say waka for cow. So, I mean, um, it's a, it's kind of a, a understanding that we didn't, 
invent. We uh, kind of borrowed some borrowed some words when we needed to, and it was a kind of a uh, one of those universal things where other tribes did as well. So it's cool hearing about um, uh, hearing from other tribes that discuss their language, and it's funny some words that mean something in our language can mean something entirely different in their language. Um, we have had some uh, some Mississippi Choctaws around in our school systems, and um, I've had a few that were were fluent, and they. Uh, it was good to uh, discuss with them some words and and how they pronounce things and uh, it's it's just good knowing that the language their language is still out there that after generations and generations of of of, of all these implement implementations of assimilation and uh, all these things that we still in the 21st century have um, have families and out there that are still speaking the language and uh, it'd be important for me. To, to continue on so I can do that with, with my uh, little family um, um, it, it, it is it is good and uh, to, to understand and know your your role as a as a member of your tribe and I think language being able to speak your language is a, a very it's probably it's the most vital thing out there and I think we need to re- recognize that we're one of the fortunate tribes that languages aren't extinct. And like Micah said, a lot of tribes might have just sheets of paper, transcriptions of their language, and it just doesn't. It might not ever flow like the way it used to be spoke. Um, there are tribes now that are stuck to to recordings and listening to their speakers, and it's kind of sad. It almost makes you kind of emotional when you think about that. It's like, what would happen if we had to do that? What would happen if we couldn't go and ask a question? Because you're not going to be able to ask a recording how to say something. So while we're here, while we're 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 while they're still around, we need to make the most of our opportunities. Well, thank you both so much for taking the time out for this interview and for sharing your stories and also um, a little bit of the language with us and with our listeners. I really appreciate it. Um, and. I just I did want to ask like is there a way um would you want to share something for like people if they wanted to know more or support uh some of your work in any way is there something to share it's fine if not Yeah there's a a website that we have it's a search engine that the the Duo Academy has uh created and that's what we kind of we're working on we're making it better and improvements to it but it's uh, shio.brokentrap dot com that's uh s i y o dot broken trap dot com or you can just look it up on google and it'll say turkey language search engine but you can type in your word that you're wondering about and if it's log if it's already been logged in there it will give you the word how to pronounce it and it all it may also have a recording on there so you can click on that and then to have a fluent speaker saying it for you, um, that's a, a help so that people can learn how to speak Cherokee as well. And uh, we, uh, Micah and I have also worked on a, an app uh, through a uh, conjunction with the uh, preservation, uh, KPEP and uh, Cherokee Central Schools, where um, kind of lent our voice to the app. And uh, in the app, you can go, it's, um, it's on the App Store on uh, Apple. Um, I don't think it's on Android or anything, if I'm not mistaken, but it's uh, Shio Level 1. Uh, oftentimes you can uh, just type in Cherokee language and it might pop up as one of the one of the ones up there, but it's, it's Shio Level 1, um, S-H-I-Y-O, 
and just we should say level one have a seal, have our seal on there the eastern band seal but that is a grow it's a continuation just like the uh, database will be a continuation they're they're um constantly uh, recording and, and putting things on there and the app is in its kind of 30 iteration of it um there should be a level two coming out soon an update and then level three um it's kind of a more more advancement of, of languages and um i've had the opportunity to 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 create some uh, images, um, some graphic design for the uh, for the app, and so that's uh, in work in progress, but it, it is coming to fruition, and uh, I'm sure you'll hear uh, either Mike or I and several other speakers on that on that app um, speaking. And uh, so there are some things out there that the public not only around here can get a hold of and, and kind of explore and, and and learn and listen. And in the app, there is a a button for English and Cherokee, so you can hear the the speaker speak, and in in both languages. Um, so those are there are avenues kind of growing um, on top of the continuation for preservation. That's so exciting, <laughs> both of those. Um, well, thank you both so much. I really appreciate it. Wow, That's it for this episode of Mountain Talk, featuring Micah and Jake Eli Swimmer and their work to preserve the Cherokee language. If you'd like to hear this or previous episodes again, you can find them on our website at wmmt.org. Or download Mountain Talk as a podcast from SoundCloud or Stitcher. Music on this episode features Owen Snake Chapman with a tune called In Come a Little Bee off of his album Fiddle Diddy. That album was released by Apple Shop's own June Apple Recordings in 1990. I've been your host and producer, Rachel Geringer, and from all of us at WMMT, thanks for listening to Real People Radio. Mm-hmm.